it's not just about money allocation all the time. It's about getting work done, collaborating on issues and causes and stuff like that. So a lot of them really, really talked about the importance of relationships and getting to know your teammates. And a lot of them just spent season one just doing that, just team building. You know, it's so important. And I know that uh, DAOs are very different. There are people, always, new people are joining in. So they have really strong onboarding processes too. They would have like a person allocated just to do onboarding because it's so important, right? That everybody new who's coming in gets onboarded and is at the same wavelength as the old members are. Welcome back, everybody, to the CityDAO pod, where we talk about network cities, the network state, the future of human civilization, and a ton of other related and relevant subjects. The easiest way for you to support the show is to please just take five seconds of your time. Just stop right now, open up your device that you're listening to this show on right now. will give us a, a five-star review. If you like shows in the past, or if you like what you hear today, subscribe. That's all I ask. It's super simple. One, two, three, four, five seconds. That's all it takes. As of this year, CityDAO, as you know, is the very first to put real-world physical land ownership into a DAO LLC registered in Wyoming and to put the governance of that land on-chain via NFTs. Now, the intention of CityDAO is to take positive steps towards a better functioning civilization for us all. So remember to join the discussions and come on out to our Discord. Follow us on Twitter. Every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Mountain Time, we do a open public community call on Discord. I'd love to hear your opinions, your thoughts, and welcome you on officially into the CityDAO community. So we will see you online after the show. Here with us on the pod today is Deepa, which is at Deepa Rocks on Twitter. I met Deepa through a introduction online through with Sapien Nation and Scott from CityDAO, and we started some discussions that ultimately, coincidentally, you could say, led us into being in the same Twitter space together a couple of weeks ago that was hosted by Arvin Kamse. You can check out my interview with Arvin, by the way, on episode 40. It was the, the previous, just the one previous episode to this one. And so Deepa and I decided to talk and do a show here about Impact DAOs in general and the book that ImpactDAOs.xyz has put out. So the link to the book is in the show notes to this episode. You can just go online, podcast.citydao.io, and scroll to the bottom. You'll see Deeper Rocks' Twitter link and also the ImpactDAOs.xyz website, which is the book. Pretty cool book. I didn't know that ImpactDAO wrote the first DAO book, so to say, and Deepa's going to explain more what that means and, and how that came to be. So maybe let's just start right there. First of all, welcome to the City Dow Pod, Deepa. I uh, appreciate your time coming here. I did a quick read through of the book and, and I found it to be a really good summary and overall starting point for DAOs. I mean, anyone, anyone that's new to the DAO industry or possibly even new to crypto, it's a pretty cool free read that anyone can just check out. I had a very positive feeling when I went through and did my skim through. So let's kick off with, why don't you tell us more about what the Impact DAO book is and, and how it came together? Yeah, thank you for having me on your show, I Mean Brains. So Impact DAO's book came along. So I got into crypto last year in May 2021 when Vitalik Buterin donated about a billion dollars to India's Crypto Relief Fund. And for the first time, I saw that crypto could actually save lives. Like it was a, a billion dollar donation of Shiba coin, which is like a meme coin. And it actually ended up saving lives. So I got into crypto through that and I started documenting crypto's social impact. And this year, when Ukraine got attacked by Russia, Ukraine DAO came along really quickly and they raised about $7 million in five days from over 3,000 people on the internet. The entire campaign was crypto powered. They made use of all the possible Web3 tools, including NFTs, flash loan from Avi. And it was a really cool campaign. And I started documenting that campaign for my own Substack and for my readers. And while I was doing that, I was like, wow, this actually presents a new model for doing good. It's the model for nonprofits. Firstly, the speed and the scale is 
enormous. A nonprofit cannot do that if they are not on the internet. And secondly, they stayed independent. There was another counter organization called Come Back Alive, which was fundraising on Patreon, and they got shut down because they were raising money for the army. But at that point of time, everybody in Ukraine, all men in Ukraine, had to pick up arms and had to fight for their country. So they were basically raising money for Ukrainians, and they got shut down from Patreon while Ukrindal continued to raise money and support the government of Ukraine, Come Back Alive, and all the other grassroots nonprofits. So I was really intrigued by this model, the way the DAO came along on the internet really quickly and did the entire infrastructure setup for fundraising. And I wanted to dig in deeper. So I wanted to understand this model better because I've been a social entrepreneur my entire life. And I've always been interested at working at the intersection of technology and social impact. So I wanted to just study this new kind of organization design and see how this could be the future of doing good. And so instead of doing the study by myself, I thought, why don't we do it as a DAO? You know, let's just do it the very Web3 way. Let's just form a DAO that studies impact DAOs and that writes a book together. So that's how we got initiated with this. There's some people that don't have a lot of details on Ukraine DAO. I mean, even myself, I saw Ukraine DAO pop up amongst a whole bunch of like a flurry of things that were happening at the time. And it's tough sometimes initially to decipher at quick glance which ones are real or not and how much effort a person is willing to put into studying each of the dozens and dozens of DAOs or different organizations that pop up in this wild crypto world. And the more I dug in to see what happened and why it was important, the more I found it was really intriguing. So I wonder if we can dive a little bit into Ukraine DAO a little bit and some of the stuff they did. Because basically, we got this DAO here that essentially raised... And actually, first of all, how many people were organizing that DAO? And how many people... I know there's 3,000 people involved, but on the organizing level, what was their uh, quantity? Oh, there at that point of time, their Telegram and their Discord was buzzing because it's the heat of the moment. There's a crisis happening. Everybody wants to help. And the call for help was put out. It was started by a Ukrainian girl called Alona based out of London. And she wrote an open letter on uh, Free Ross DAO. There's another DAO that's based in London on their website about why people should support Ukraine DAO. And she actually registered the Twitter handle three days ago before Russia attacked Ukraine. She knew that the war is imminent and her, her parents live there. So she kind of really had the grassroots reality. Like she wasn't somebody who's sitting here and talking about Ukraine. Her parents, they live there. And so she's totally plugged in and she knows what's going to happen. She wrote this letter like three days before Russia attacks Ukraine on Freeros Dao's website and made a plea to the crypto community to come together and help her. And Please Dao got involved, which is like one of the really big DAOs. They collectively buy NFTs. So they got involved and a lot of high profile crypto people got involved with Alec Butrin got involved. And so they just took off. And there were lots of people, like lots of people actually that came forward to help them. It's hard to put a number at this point of time, but there were people helping them with different kinds of things, you know, like how to accept different tokens and just to set up the website. What should the NFT be that they would use to fundraise? And they decided to do the Ukraine flags NFT and they did a party bid for that so everybody could participate. Party bid is like where people can pull in money and they can buy an NFT together as a group. And so it just allowed everybody to pull in whatever money they could in terms of minting the Ukraine flag. So there was a lot of effort that went in. There's like a tons of infrastructure setup that went in. And that's why we were keen to study Ukraine DAO because I felt like Ukraine DAO is a great model for future disaster management. You know, anytime there's a disaster, like there's an earthquake in Afghanistan or say there's an earthquake somewhere else or there are floods that have caused thousands of lives or if there's an, uh, the next war, this would be the easiest, best way to fundraise really quickly and at scale. 
And so I was really intrigued to learn and go deeper about the model. Definitely, definitely. In the Twitter space that we were in, I think it was last week with Arvin, there was a spicy topic you could say that popped up. And there was uh, one person who came up vocally and criticized the Constitution DAO for having raised money for buying the Constitution instead of, well, the causes that they believed in instead. And it was a bit of an emotional moment, at least for me anyways. And you heard my response (laughs) on live forum to it. And I thought it might be worthwhile to just bring that up, highlight what happened, talk about perspectives, get your perspective on it, and see what we can learn from it. Because basically, what this person had brought up was that impact initiatives, whatever it is, whether it's a DAO or not, that impact initiatives are more important than anything else that exists on the planet, basically. And that groups like Constitution DAO, or basically the specific words that were used was that Constitution DAO raised 45 million in like a few weeks to buy the Constitution, which represents slavery in the United States. And it's a terrible thing. And how could money be put towards something of zero functional value or use when there's people that are hurting across the world? That was the direct, and I'm not gonna even call it a criticism. That's the direct attack that was thrown out against Constitution DAO in this public forum with like 400 people. And you and I were on it too. And some people on the call were getting very animated. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. How can they do this? And yeah, good. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I support that. And my rebuttal, I'm very, very fortunate that I was the speaker coming up right after. At first, I was like a little bit uncertain about it, but I was very fortunate. And and my response was that, look, Constitution Dow was a bunch of people that essentially weren't really paid to do an experiment, to try something. And they wanted to see if it was possible to whip up large sums of money in a short amount of time through a Dow and do something with it. That was, to me, my understanding of the experiment. And they did. They got, well, how many? 10, 20,000 people put together in two, three weeks, whatever it was, whipped up $45 million. And that was a huge success. And to me, I look at that as, first of all, if someone has an idea and they want to do it, let them do it, right? They're not hurting someone in the process, let them do it. And second, I see that as an inspiration source. They paved way, you could say, and provided almost a roadmap of what's possible in this space with modern technology to do cool stuff with. So other people should, in my opinion, look at those examples and what worked and duplicate it for their own initiatives, right? If you want to cure world hunger, do that. If you want to empower certain groups of people, do that. If you want to work with equal rights in certain categories, then do that. And let's all support each individual's movement and envision about how the world can be a better place instead of attacking and instead of criticizing and instead of hurting people. And that was my response. So I'm kind of curious your perspective on, I mean, because I haven't asked you yet. I have no idea what your thoughts were. There's certainly a lot probably to say. When you were listening to that discussion, what sort of popped up for you? And what are your thoughts now today? Yeah, I think constitution is a historical document. And I can understand why a group would want to hold on to that document, right? And if there's an opportunity for people to pull in money together and buy something like a piece of history, then why not, right? And yeah, as you said, they were one of the first experiments in terms of people on the internet coming together around a time-sensitive issue, you know, like there was an auction going to take place, they had to bid for it. And whenever there's like, it's time-sensitive, or if there's an emergency, people are drawn to give money at that point of time, like there's a pressure to donate at that point of time. And so I feel it's a great example. And they did put the roadmap out for other DAOs to follow that. And then I don't know if you know about this one, but there was another DAO that came after Constitution DAO that bought the Dune book. You know, the movie Dune that's based on it? Yeah, I heard about that. I didn't study it in, but I heard that that happened. It's fascinating. Tell me more. (laughs) You know, what Constitution DAO did, like, obviously, they also became kind of like a laughingstock because everybody kind of knew what the bid is going to be because it's so on-chain and public and transparent. And then somebody comes and outbids them. 
and they collected so much money and then they had to go through the hassle of returning the money back to people. And then there's another DAO, I, I don't remember their name, but they bought the book Dune. And recently in the impact space, there was another DAO that came along, which is called the Redemption DAO. And again, it didn't go really well. So Redemption DAO created a lot of press and buzz within the refi. You know, there's a DeFi, decentralized finance, and then there is regenerative finance, which is the good side of crypto, where they invest back in the community, in the people, in the land, and they regenerate Earth, basically, using cryptocurrencies. So in the refi space, there was a lot of buzz. There was a lot of press about Redemption DAO, and their goal was to buy some land in Congo, which was the government was going to auction it. And so they wanted to pool in money together so they could buy the land instead of some oil or drilling company. That's a great example again. But then because they were so reactive to the news that came out about this land auction, they didn't really study when the auction was going to take place. There was a whole process to it. Like it wasn't as straightforward as just pool in money and let's go get that. LFG, LFG. <laughs> yeah. So basically it, it was kind of a flop case. With redemption DAO too. But that's, again, the same model. You know, there's a need of the hour and we need to fundraise and let's do it. And blockchain allows for that kind of easy setup. You can set up your wallet on the blockchain. You don't have to go through the bank. It's so easy. You can start fundraising. You can make use of all the Web3 tools, whether it be NFTs or whatever, and fundraise. And there's a big Web3 community. So they're always ready to help, right? So I feel it's a great model for people to come together, pull in money and do some good. And about that specific example, though, in that Twitter space, how would you go about making a positive change? How about if I rephrase sort of my approach to that topic? Because really that topic, the conversation, the heated discussion that popped up was that this person was saying, it was criticizing that more people should take different actions towards having a positive impact. And I didn't mean to, but I ended up jumping in defending Constitution Dow by saying, don't criticize people's free will engagements to do cool stuff. Just take what they did, learn from it, and apply it to your own initiatives. Right? We can all work together here. We don't have to step on each other and attack each other while we're all trying to make... Because let, like, let's say, if I believe that cleaning the world's oceans should be everyone's top priority, if I go around saying that everyone else is stupid because they're not prioritizing cleaning the ocean, and I go at Google and I say, Google's terrible because they're not directly helping it. And I don't know, I go to fill in the blank, my friends, and I say, you guys are stupid for not working on this solution and everyone's stupid for not working on it. I'm not going to really attract good people to my banner, to my cause. It's not going to work. But if I go around and say, look, what could we do? Do you have any ideas, Deepa, to fix the ocean? Do you have any ideas, Google, that could help clean the ocean? Now, of course, Google X is working on a project that is doing exactly that. So it's kind of an ironic example. But how would you go about, based on all these impact DAOs that you're looking at, how would you recommend for someone or, or, or you go about yourself raising a group of people to have a positive impact? Yeah, I think one of the ways that a lot of people haven't really explored Web3 space is for making these kinds of investments in the causes that we believe in, right? Like there are a lot of impact DAOs that I've studied. There were 12 of them. Gitcoin is another one, which is like a very popular Web3 crowdfunding platform for open source projects. And Ukraine DAO was the one that came around a disaster, like a human caused disaster. But there are so much opportunity for people to come together and pool in money for the causes that they believe in. And sometimes if you don't find your tribe locally, it's easy to find it on the internet. Because if you're thinking ocean, I'm sure there are like 100,000 other people thinking ocean. The idea is to get the word out, right? And if it's a time sensitive issue, then people are drawn to give money at that point of time. That's why disasters are a very, like a lot of nonprofits become rich during disaster. 
everybody's emotions are like charged and they want to help. And so they just give money. And I've been in this field and I know that when a disaster strikes, one, you need to take care of the crisis, but rehabilitation part is equally important. And by the time the rehab part comes in, news has died off and people have forgotten about the fact that the disaster took place. But now is the time of real building. You need to rebuild houses or whatever got lost during the disaster, right? So there's a whole rehabilitation part of it too. And so I feel like people can really organize around causes. Like I strongly believe, say, in children's education. So I need to do my homework, obviously, do the due diligence in terms of how the money or what other different grassroots projects that we should support. But then we can totally come together online through crypto Twitter, promote the idea, promote the concept and just set up a multi-sig and start fundraising through that. So basically, what I'm understanding is when there's a big event happening, one of the big takeaways is to move on it quickly and reach as many people as possible utilize easy to access tools like crypto, for example, and really just capitalize on that buzz while it's hot, both because people's emotions are up and they're ready to start giving money or contribute time. And also because if it's not capitalized on immediately, then the money flow will slow down too much and not reach its intended target in the most critical moment of need. Am I getting that right? Exactly. Exactly. Raise as much as you can. As long as you've done your homework, you know what you're going to do with that money. Because after taking care of the immediate needs, which is food, shelter, water, whatever is that at that point of time, there's a long-term rehabilitation process of rehabilitating those people who got affected by the disaster or the emergency. And Ukraine now is currently... The fundraising phase is over, but now they're working very closely with the government of Ukraine in terms of fighting the Russian propaganda and disinformation about Ukrainians. So they're doing a lot of fact checking and addressing all the media reports that are wrong about Ukraine. So this is their part of rehab. This is what the directives are for them in terms of what the government of Ukraine wants them to do. So this is the long term extension after the fundraising needs are done. They're not fundraising anymore. They're done with that. So I feel like when the emotions are high, people should totally capitalize on that and raise as much money as possible, but don't spend it all at the start because the road to rehabilitation is long and you need to keep some of it for later because people won't be that drawn to give later as the news cycle dies off. Gotcha. And the way that you speak about these impact DAOs, it gives me the impression that you have a background somehow that was connected with, for lack of a better word, public good work. I mean, what is your background leading up to this movement into DAOs that you've done? Like, what was what were you doing before? Yeah, so I'm a social entrepreneur. So social entrepreneurs are people who basically, they're not nonprofit professionals. So there are nonprofits where people are fundraising and they're giving money out as they raise donations and then they give out money to the people or they support other grassroots charities. But social entrepreneurs are people who are thinking of using business as a way to generate money to do good. For instance, Tom Shoes in LA, they made these shoes really popular. The founder had traveled to Guatemala, got really inspired by these canvas shoes, came back to LA and said, hey, we're going to do this. You buy one shoe and we're going to donate one shoe. So it's a social good model. He's a social entrepreneur. He's generating his own revenue, but at the same time, he's doing good and doing good is core to his mission. So I'm a social entrepreneur. I've worked with Salesforce.com, which is a technology company, and I managed their philanthropy for Asia Pacific. So I got to travel a lot and work with nonprofits and help them embrace technology. And so I've always been very interested at working at the intersection of technology and doing good. And I had my own publication at one point of time when I was in California and I was writing about social entrepreneurs like Tom Shoes and others that are using technology to do good, like making use of platforms to reach many, many more people, say in Ghana or other places, which is impossible to reach otherwise. And so moving into Web3 happened last year when 
Vitalik gave like a billion dollar worth of donation to India's Crypto Relief Fund. And I was like, wow, Web3 can be used for good too. Because before that, I had only heard about crypto scams and Ponzi schemes. And it's like, I didn't have a good impression of crypto. But then that really pulled me deeper into understanding Web3 and how Web3 is making social impact. And so I started documenting about everything that was happening in Web3 and social impact. And that's how I came across Ukraine DAO. And from Ukraine DAO, I just went deep down the DAO rabbit hole. And now there's a book. And now there's a book, exactly. And we wrote it as a DAO, so we could also live the DAO experience firsthand. And basically, it really helped us ask relevant questions to the builders because we had almost 30 conversations. So we interviewed three people, on an average, three people per DAO. And we had conversations with the founders and the contributors. We recorded every single conversation. They're out on our podcast, all about Impact DAO, so people can actually listen to those conversations and really get into the mind of those builders and see what kind of decisions they've made and why they made those decisions. So anybody who wants to start their own Impact DAO can totally go listen to, say, for instance, Scott Moore of Gitcoin and understand what were the early days of Gitcoin and how they grew the organization and stuff like that. What does that mean to write a book as a DAO? Does like everyone write a different chapter? And how do you maintain congruency of the narrative and the tone and the speech style? Is there one person delegated to be the editor, for example, or their chief writer, and it just accumulates articles written by others? Like, how, how do you write a, I mean, first of all, it's kind of like, how do you get anything done as a DAO is kind of the funny real subject, but but how do you write a book as a DAO? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very insightful journey, I would say. So we started as a DAO six months ago in June, and idea was we divided it into two phases. Let's do the research first. Let's have all these conversations and record these podcasts. And we prepared like a questionnaire where we dug into different kinds of details that we wanted about DAOs, like their governance style, how they structure how do contributors get paid? And we had so many questions. So at least 60 minutes of interviews with each one of them. And then the second phase was because these were all qualitative interviews, we wanted to extract the hard data out of these conversations. And then came the part about writing the chapters. So by the time we had to write the chapters, we had our learnings as a DAO. And what we realized is that working as work streams is not the best way. So initially, there was large scale coordination, like so many people involved. And by the time we had to write the book chapters, we realized that it has to be done by just three people and not more than that. Just three people exclusively working on writing these chapters. We had one appointed editor. He's previously published a book. He's a British guy based in Korea. And he is one of the OGs of our DAO. Basically, he joined us right from the beginning. And he was the editor-in-chief. And there were two other people, including me, who wrote the chapters. And he edited it. And it really worked well because I'm based in Vancouver Pacific time. And so by the time I got done with my day, his day was just starting in Korea. So we just got the whole, like the final push like the writing the book and publishing it out in the last one week's time, basically. But before that, there were so many people involved in terms of doing the transcriptions for us, doing the case studies for us. But then just to maintain the quality, like a lot of it, we had to redo. The three people that were involved during the last phase had to literally redo everything, literally, in terms of everything that was submitted to us through the contributors. I would say 80% of the work we redid it. So it's been kind of a learning. We are a media DAO. We're going to grow. We're going to have many more content creators for us in the future. And so these, all these learnings, we're going to obviously help us figure out the best way in terms of finding quality work. Because in the community, like right now, it was totally based on vibes. Anybody who raised their hands to do anything, we allocated work to them. It was bounty-based. We did a fundraise on Gitcoin. And so everybody got paid for the work they did. 
But because it was project-based, we never got time to review the work. And the work that we got wasn't up to a certain quality. So we had to redo a lot. And that's why ultimately you came to three people writing. You just took everyone else's work and sort of regurgitated it into something that was more streamlined. Is that correct? Yes, just three people. Like we basically didn't even show up in Discord for almost a week or more because we wanted to just stay away from everybody. We just started a group on Twitter, DM, and that's where we were coordinating. You know, there's three of us and on Google Docs. And that was really effective. And so going forward, we're going to have pods, you know, as the Impact Our Media, we're going to have pods for podcasts, pods for visual design or whatever we need. And it's not going to be more than four people. So basically three to four people is what we're going to have because we've realized that this is, that's the most effective way of getting work done. So this is a question because CityDAO runs into this a fair bit as well. What does it mean to be decentralized? What does it mean to be a DAO? This is the broad topic that I think a lot of people, thousands of people in the DAO industry are reflecting on in crypto winter and discussing on how to move forward. Because some people, there's a camp of people that would say that everyone needs to make every decision separately and agree on it unanimously and harmoniously. And then there's another group of people that say that's just physically not realistic or practical in any way, shape or form. There has to be a certain amount of consolidation in power or responsibility to certain people. Otherwise, nothing gets done. And maybe you can vote on who those people are going to be. But then you go back to the other camp and they say, oh, well, as soon as you start electing certain people to do a consolidated group of tasks or responsibilities, then we're going against the foundations of what a DAO is supposed to be in the first place. You know, in CityDAO, anyone that proposes a project ends up being the lead of that project, right? So by default of being the lead on that project, there's a certain amount of power and responsibility that that one person has. Because there's a certain amount of, we just have to get this done. It has to move forward. And someone needs to be accountable to do that as an individual, as a driving force. The buck has to stop with someone. So I certainly agree and resonate with how you ultimately came with three people to write everything. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering on the philosophical side, did that present some challenges with other people in the DAO? Or what sort of reflections may have you had in that process? I don't think anybody rejected to that idea because the idea is to get the book out. We've been on it for six months. Everything's ready. We've got the research. We've got people to do the case studies. Everything is there. The data is there. It's just a matter of writing the book. And I'm sure everybody who started with us in June and who left because, you know, it's a revolving, you know, how contributors are, right? They come in and they leave and then they come back again or they don't come back. And so everybody who started and who contributed, I'm sure they're very proud of the fact that the book is finally out. So nobody really rejected that idea. And in terms of governance is a really hot topic. And what is a DAO? Like I recently had Aragon, somebody from Aragon come and talk on my podcast about, we actually debated this, what's a DAO? And because Aragon is the very first company that started in 2016 to provide the DAO infrastructure, like all the tooling and everything that DAOs need to create and maintain themselves. And they did an ICO in 2017, and they have these and token holders. And now that company, they functioned as a traditional company, but they're transitioning into being a DAO in like next two or three weeks. And for almost over a year, they had like a test DAO running within the company to figure out what should be the best model to transition into. And because Anthony, who was on my podcast, was from Aragon, and I feel like the Aragon DAO is a DAO maxi. They want to hold on to that original definition of what a DAO should be, which was basically everything should be done on chain, voting should be done on chain. The idea at that point of time was that strangers are coming together, they're pooling in money, and then they're going to decide on fund allocation, how the money should be distributed. The original DAO was the DAO, right? That was an investment DAO. 
they came and they pulled money and they were going to invest in companies, right? And so everything has to be fair. Everything has to be on chain. And that's the permissionless, trustless manner of working. But in my study through Impact House, I realized that nothing of that was happening. Impact House talked about relationships and getting to know who are the people in your community. And that is very important. And certain things can be automated, but DAOs are made up of human beings. They're not machines, basically, and that you need to really spend time understanding your teammates. It's just like another organization, but different structure altogether, which is more decentralized, you know, in terms of governance. But everything doesn't have to be on chain. So we kind of had that kind of a debate. And then just to give another example from my study is a proof of humanity. I'm not sure if you know about proof of humanity, but it's uh, Vitalik Buterin's favorite project. Yeah, it's a huge project. I had some struggles, some big struggles. Oh, yeah. You know about the DAO struggles? Well, it's big news in the DAO industry. I think uh, I think a lot of people definitely bumped into them in some way, shape, or form. There was a lot of hope initially that this was going to be a, a massive change and a positive thing. And then, of course, we are where we are now. So, Exactly. And they're part of a study. So we had a really good one-hour-long conversation with three of their people. And Proof of Humanity was basically formed by two different organizations that came together and build a proof of humanity and the UBI token on top of it. And so the Caloris team was the technical team. And anybody who became part of the registry automatically got one vote, you know, so one person, one vote concept. And they call themselves to be the most fairest democratic DAO because there is no second person. This is one unique person and every unique person has one vote. But then they soon ran into problem because now they had 16,000 people and everybody now was part of the DAO and they were invited to vote on matters. And even if they employed delegate voting, they didn't see too many votes getting delegated. And there was always low participation and people who were voting didn't really know what the subject matter really well. For instance, like if they have to make protocol level changes, which are very technical, how can you expect a UBI, like a unconditional basic income holder in Argentina who make those kind of decisions, right? He has no expertise. And obviously, there was a fallout, right? And now the DAO has four, basically. There's one Cloris team, which is going to, I think they had a vote on it, which is going to maintain the protocol. And then there's Democracy Earth, which is Santi based from Argentina, who launched the UBI token on top of that. I think that's going to be separate. So just before we wrap up here, you have such a deep experience in, in the research of various impact DAOs. If you were to summarize for everyone that's listening here today, let's say your top two takeaways. What are the two biggest things you've learned about impact DAOs that people should consider when they're out there just doing their own thing? And I'll have a, my follow-up question will be about what would be the starting point for someone that wants to start an impact DAO. But let's just start with what are your top two biggest takeaways and lessons from studying all these impact DAOs that you could share with people? Yeah. Number one is that a lot of impact DAOs talked about it because these DAOs are formed around different value sets and it's all about helping people and the planet. And so it's very important for them. It's not just about money allocation all the time. It's about getting work done, collaborating on issues and causes and stuff like that. So a lot of them really, really talked about the importance of relationships and getting to know your teammates. And a lot of them just spent season one just doing that, just team building. You know, it's so important. And I know that uh, DAOs are very different. There are people, always new people are joining in. So they have really strong onboarding processes too. They would have like a person allocated just to do onboarding because it's so important, right? That everybody new who's coming in gets onboarded and is at the same wavelength as the old members are. So that's one. Secondly, what I've learned is that there's just way too much people 
I think it's not all impact DAOs in my study, but a lot of them are obsessed. And that goes for the entire DAO industry, I would say, is obsessed with voting and decentralized governance that they sometimes forget why they've come together. It's not to vote on matters all the time, right? I know you're trying to be a DAO and DAO says that be decentralized, okay? So which means that try to distribute power as much as you can to others and enable others and enable second layer of leaders rather than just having one person making all the calls, right? And enable discussions and enable dialogue about why you want to do certain thing, but doesn't mean that every time you want to change something, you go start voting on it. And so a lot of people have learned hard lessons. Like we had Klima Dao also as part of a study and launched Klima was a fork of Olympus Dao and they brought the voluntary carbon credit market, which is basically very traditional off-chain, on-chain. So people have more transparency, how carbon credits get traded and stuff like that. And they launched as a DAO from day one, and they've had some really hard lessons around decision-making, governance, voting. There were times when everybody was voting on whether the logo should be brown in color or red in color or whatever the thing is, you know, like matters like these. And so a lot of DAOs have gone through that process, just the ones that are part of my study, including Proof of Humanity for that matter. So I think a lot of them, if you go and listen to their podcast, and this is the question that I ask them about, what do they think about voting now that they've lived it for almost a year or more? Do they believe DAO should vote or how much should they vote? And they all have the view that they shouldn't vote too much. It should be kept at minimum. And also find a balance. Do not go to the extreme end of decentralization. Find a balance. What works in terms of getting work done? in the best decentralized way possible, but do not be obsessed with democracy and decentralization to the extent that nothing gets done. So people that are building or wanting to start their own impact DAO or get involved in other impact DAO, I'd imagine they could probably reach out to you and talk to you on Twitter, or uh, is there a different way that you'd want to discuss with people? Or are you like shut off (laughs) and recuperating and deciding what the next steps are? No, no, no. I'm already thinking I have a whole strategy around the book. So they should definitely go read the book online. We are very inspired by Balaji. Balaji recently wrote the Network State book and he only launched it as a digital book. And he has no plans anytime to launch the print book because he wants to keep updating that book with people's feedback and just keep it more dynamic rather than static. And that's our whole approach to the book. So definitely, if they want to contribute to any of those 12 DAOs, they are some of the best DAOs that exist today in terms of creating positive externalities and helping people and the planet. And they're the most mature and experienced DAOs. They can definitely reach out. Every DAO is linked to their website or to the handle. They can reach out to them. It's a really good resource then. It's just a place to go if you're thinking about Impact DAOs to just go and browse the website, scroll through it, check out what's written, read the book, do some thought discussion, connect to people that are in those DAOs, right? Yeah, and they can definitely reach out to us, to Impact DAO Media. Our Twitter handle is there, impactdaos.xyz. The book is stored as a code on GitHub. It's a repo there. And so we are also asking for contributors. We want this book to be populated in different formats. Like I would love to visualize everything that's been written in that book. So it should turn out to be like a picture book where people can just read because they're different kind of learners. Some people are more visual. Some people like to hear. Some people like to read. Some people love micro content. So we want to do Twitter threads on them. We want to populate like really short content. So we're looking for contributors too, to help with the development of the book and to help us create different kinds of formats that gets the message out on Impact House. So we love their help in, yeah, I think ImpactHouse.xyz is the best place to first start reading and then reaching out to us or to the other Impact House. 
Well, it inspires me when I see people that have cool ideas and they're motivated to help people and they throw that online and then thousands of people come together and rally behind it and they accomplish their vision. It's inspiring for me. I love to see it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to come up in the future here. If you're listening right now to the show and you have an idea, you could make it happen. Check out impactdows.xyz and reach out to Deeper Rocks on Twitter. We will see you on the next show. Remember to join our discussions as well on Discord. Like I said, every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Mountain Time on the CityDAO Discord is a community call for anyone that's involved. If you're not involved yet, come join. If you haven't given us a five-star review, do that now. <laughs> that's my only ask of you today. Just uh, click that subscribe button and it helps the algorithms a lot. That's, that's why I ask it. It helps get the show out to more people and spread the word and start discussions even more. So uh, Deepa, thank you for your time today. I look forward to seeing you on the next Twitter space. Maybe we should do one together. That would be really cool. Any last words here before we uh, close out? Read the book. Yeah, it's a great way to uh, start on the right side of crypto. Use the technology and the power of the blockchain to do good. I agree. Check out the book. I did. You won't regret it. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.